I'm not real smart or real original. So we're just going to pick up where we left off. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Title of the message is, This is David's Spoil. This is David's Spoil. Now, we ended with verse 19. I want to go back and read verses 17 through 19 again, make another comment about those verses. And David smote them from the twilight even into the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save four hundred young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. Now, I want to make a couple comments about these, this before we go on. First one is this. David recovered all through a great slaughter that began in the dark, began in the twilight. And that's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. He recovered all that his people lost in Adam through a bloody sacrifice that happened in the dark. When God's Son was crucified, he made his soul an offering for sin. God shut the sun off. He turned this earth black. Now we see some of the results of that great transaction that transpired between the Father and the Son. But we know almost nothing about the details of that transaction. It happened in the dark. It happened on purpose. We don't know those details. That was a transaction that happened between the Father and the Son. But whatever the details, you know, people like to talk about, they like to sound like real smart theologians, and they know this happened, this happened. Well, you really don't, because it happened in the dark. But whatever the details, this is what I know. Henry told me one time, let's stick with what we know. This is what I know. Christ won the victory, and he recovered all. And that great sacrifice that happened in the dark. And second, when we read these verses, it sounds like David is the only one doing the fighting, doesn't it? It sounds like David's the only one winning the battle. It sounds like David's the only one recovering what was lost. Now, we know that there are 400 soldiers fighting alongside David, but it reads like David was fighting alone. And there's a reason for that. David is a picture of Christ, whose scripture says, by himself he purged our sins. You see, the putting away of sin and the recovering of what we lost in Adam is not a joint venture between Christ and the sinner. It's the work of Christ alone. By himself, he purged our sins. And that's why it reads this way, that David recovered all. And when our Lord Jesus Christ died, he recovered all that his people lost in Adam. But that's not all he bought. Look at verse 20. And David took all the flocks and the herds, which they drave before those other cattle, and said, This is David's spoil. Now David recovered all that belonged to his people. There was nothing lacking to them. But David also took everything else that those Amalekites had, things that you know they had had before, things they took from the Philistines or whatever. David took it and said, This is David's spoil. It belongs to me. And when our Lord Jesus Christ died, he purchased Everything, absolutely everything. He purchased the redemption of his people. He purchased everything that we lost in Adam. And he purchased everything else in God's creation too. 
He's the king of all. He purchased it all from his father. He said in John 3, 35, the father loveth the son and hath given all things into his hands. He purchased it all. Peter said, now brethren, you know this assuredly, that God hath made that same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ, in that order. He's Lord. He's king of all. He purchased it all. And he's the Christ. He's the savior of his people. Everything belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He bought it all. It's all his. Every spiritual blessing belongs to Christ. And he dispenses it freely as he sees fit. It belongs to him and he gives it to his people freely as he sees fit. Every material blessing, every physical ability, every mental capacity, you mentioned it in your prayer, starts with everything we have belongs to Christ. And he gave it to us. It all belongs to him. We're just using it. He said, this is my spoil. I fought the battle. Now, I know there's men fighting with David. There was nobody fighting alongside our Lord. I fought the battle. I won the battle. The spoil's mine. And that's the way it should be. It all belongs to him. This is David's spoil. Now, we're going to come back to that spoil in a minute. First, I want us to see how is it that David disposed of everything he recovered that had been lost by his men. In verse 21, And David came to the two hundred men, which were so faint they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. He asked them how they did. Now these are the men, I told you, we're going to come back to them. These are the men that were too exhausted to go on. They left them by the brook. And before you're too hard on these fellows, think about them now. I'm amazed the 400 could go with David, really. They were physically exhausted. From the time they left the Philistine army, it was a three-day march back to Ziklag. They walked for three days. That's a long time to walk. They're tired when they got there. And then when they get there, they see their homes burned to the ground. All their possessions are gone. And worse, their wives and children are gone. They assume that they're dead. They don't know if they're dead or alive. Now, the emotional stress and the mental anguish that that would cause anyone would just exhaust people. I'm amazed they could go on at all. And then they begin to march again. They marched a whole nother day before they got to the Brook Besor, and their bodies just gave out. I can understand, can't you? And David, in compassion, didn't press them to go on. Matter of fact, we read he made them stay by the brook Besor. They wanted to go on. David had to make them stay because he knew they just couldn't. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's the way it's always, that's always has been that way. It always will be that way. And David had compassion on these men. He told them, boys, you stay here and rest. You can't go on. And when he got back to them, he went out ahead of the group to come back to them and ask them, how are you? How are you feeling? Are you feeling better? We've recovered all, bringing everything back to you. He wanted to know how they did. And isn't that a blessed picture of our Lord? He knoweth our friend. He remembereth that we're dust. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. 
He has compassion on us. Our acceptance with God is not based on how well we did in the battle or even if we went to the battle. Our acceptance with God is in the beloved. It's in Christ. It's based on a relationship with Christ, not on how well we perform certain duties. I'll give you this example. I don't know if it's a silly one or not, but it's the best I can come up with. You all know I have two daughters. I love those girls. I mean, I love them. And I don't love them because they're pretty young women. I don't love them because they're polite. They say, yes, sir, no, sir. That's not why I love them. I don't love them because they've done well in school. I don't love them because they do the dishes and do certain duties you know, around the house when they come home for a visit. I love those girls because they're my daughters. It's a relationship. It's not based on duties they perform. It's a relationship. That's the relationship a believer has with the Father. It's not based on certain duties we perform. It's in the Beloved. It's in a relationship with His Son. And He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we're dust. And He doesn't put on us more than we're capable of. He remembers we're dust. How often do we forget we're dust? How often do we forget our, we are, we're dust, I'm dust. They're just a, just a pile of dust. No matter how high you piled up, it's a pile of dust. And how often do we forget other men are dust or our brethren are dust and expect more out of them than dust is capable of? He remembers that we're dust. Well, verse 22, here's some men that forgot their dust. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them all of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. <laughs> now these men of Belial, they're men of Satan. That's who that Belial, they're men of Satan, they're wicked men. They went with David to the battle. But they didn't want to return what they'd recovered to those men who stayed by the brook. And you know why? They forgot that they are dust. They said, We're not going to give them what we've recovered. Wait a minute, I thought David recovered all. And spiritually speaking, that's exactly true. It's not what we've done. It's not what we've recovered. Christ recovered all. Now I'll give you three things about these men. First, they're men of Belial. They're men of Satan. They're wicked men. Then what do they do with David? There's always tares among the wheat. We just don't know who they are. In every congregation, there's tares among the wheat. Leave it alone. Just leave it alone. God will separate them in his time. Second, these wicked men. The wicked love the law. Now you'd think the wicked would hate the law because the law condemns them, but they love the law. And you know why? They forgot their dust. They think they can keep the law. They think their works make them more accepted than someone else with fewer works than them. And there is nothing more wicked than that kind of thinking. Because that thinking denies salvation completely by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're wicked men. And thirdly, this kind of wicked thinking, thinking that my works uh, makes me more accepted than someone with less works, leads to an elitist, 
holier-than-thou attitude. These men of Belial, not only were they not going to return what they recovered, they were going to drive those men out. They can't even stay with us anymore. They're out on their own. See you, good night, goodbye. They're done with them. The law always speaks of separation and death. The gospel speaks of life and union with Christ. And what does God say about this kind of thinking? This is holier than thou thinking. Look in Isaiah 65. What does God say? That's what we need to find out. What does God say about this matter? In Isaiah 65, verse 2. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good. They walk after their own thoughts. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificeth in gardens and burn incense upon altars of brick. It's not that they're not religious. They're religious. It's just not the way God's to be worshipped. Which remain among the graves, they lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh, and broth of abominable things is in their vessels. Which say, see they're religious, stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. I've got more works than you. God says, these are smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. That's what God says about this kind of thinking. And I point this out to us because believers, children of God, people who have been given spiritual life, have to be wary of this kind of thinking. We must guard against this kind of thinking, entering into our hearts and minds because that old dead nature is still in us. It's not been eradicated. It's still with us. Now, we may not, we may be too polite to say it out loud, but this kind of thinking can enter into our hearts. We may not go as far as to say, well, this brother, he's not saved because he doesn't do as much as I do. But we'll think, well, you know, I'm a better Christian than that guy. I dwell on a higher spiritual plane than that guy. I'm more important in the kingdom of God than that guy. That kind of thinking is evil. It's evil, and nothing is more contrary to grace than that. God forbid that we would have that kind of stinking thinking in us. Do we really think? Now, I mean, think about what this is saying. Do we really think that something I do makes me more holy than another brother who's also been washed in the blood of Christ? If I think that, I'm thinking Christ's blood plus. Do we really think that all the time we spend sacrificing our time and giving of time and money and doing good spent for the people of God and, and for the gospel, the glory, the gospel of God, does that really make me more accepted than another brother who's also in Christ? If I think that, then I think Christ plus something else. God forbid that we think that way. Now, different people have different roles to accomplish and fulfill in the body of Christ in the church. And a more public role does not make a person more important than someone else. All that means is God's just giving you a different role than somebody else. That's all it means. Every role is necessary. Each one of you is necessary to the body of Christ. And if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll show you this. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. 
For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? See, each role is necessary. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it's pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members with many functions, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more. Those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. Now, I'd venture to say, I was going to say no one here, but there may be a couple of you here in the medical field, who have ever seen a kidney. And if you've seen a kidney, you, I would imagine it's not the most attractive thing in this world. Most of us never see a kidney. Try living without one. Chuck Moore just had to have a transplant because his failed, and he'd have died if he didn't have it. Try living without it. The kidney doesn't have, a, uh, have a, uh, as public a role as the mouth or the head does it or the face. Or, but it's necessary. Each member of the body of Christ is necessary. These men who stayed behind in the brook Besor are just as necessary as those men that went down to the battle. That's what this is teaching. And each one is necessary. One's not more important than another. Now, without argument, the most important thing we do as a church, as a body, is preach the gospel. Isn't that right? That didn't make the preacher more important than somebody else. He's not lord over God's heritage. What is God calling? A servant. We're your servants for your sake. And God's servants, just a servant. Look over at Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20, verse 24. This is right after James and John. They came to the Lord and said, When you come into your kingdom, let one of us sit in your right hand and one of your left. Well, verse 24, When the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Well, no wonder. But Jesus called them unto him. and said, Now you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Let him be your waiter. That's what that word is. Let him wait tables. Just wait the tables. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. If Just be a waiter. Just be a servant. Now, does that mean that what I do or how I do it doesn't matter? Does that mean that? Absolutely not. You put your whole self into doing whatever it is the Lord's given you to do. Whatever the Lord's given you to do today, put your whole self into doing it. Just do it as well as you can and do it humbly. Look at Luke 17. Do it humbly. Remember these two things, these two verses. The first one, Luke 17.
But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he's come from the field, Go and sit down to me? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I trow not. I don't think so. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all these things which are commanded you, here's what you say. We're just unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. Whatever it is God gives you, don't have to put your whole self into doing it, but do it humbly. And remember, it's just your reasonable service. It's what God's given you to do. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. verse 9 the apostle Paul says for I am the least of the apostles that I'm not me I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain but I labored more abundantly than they all yet not I but the grace of God which was with me yeah I, you labor I labor but it was not me it's the grace of God which was in me. Now the Apostle Paul, that man went to the battle. I've never made it as far as a brook be sore. This man went to the battle. And what does he say? I'm nothing. Christ is all. Christ recovered all. It's Christ's spoil. It's his body. It's his spoil. And that's what David did. He took all this and he said, now this is my spoil. And now we're going to divide this. We're not going to do what you fellows are wanting to do. Keep it all to yourselves. Look what he says in verse 23 back in our text. Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren, which that what the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. David says, Now, brethren, this is not going to be our attitude. This is not the attitude of a child of God who remembers it's Christ who recovered all. Now this congregation, you are known across this land as a loving, kind, generous, hospitable people. Just I've not heard one person across this country say one negative thing about everybody loves to come here and worship with you and be around you. You're just such a gracious, kind people. But I'll give you three things from this verse that will help you keep that attitude. First, we remember this. Everything we have, David says, is that which the Lord's given us. We're not going to be selfish with what the Lord's given us. We didn't go earn it. The Lord gave it to us. Secondly, we're only here because the Lord preserved us. We're not going to hold it against these brethren because we went to the battle and came back. The only reason we're here is the Lord preserved us. Why are you here and somebody else isn't? Cheryl, why are you here not there handling them snakes? The Lord preserved you. That's why. And thirdly, remember this. We've never won a victory at all. We've never even, like I said, never been to the battle. We're not won a victory. We never will. But we are victors because the Lord delivered us. We're not going to do this with what the Lord gave us. He preserved us and he delivered this into our hand. We're not going to, this is not going to be our attitude. So David goes on in verse 24. He said, For who will hearken unto you in this matter? Well, not a child of God, he won't. But, as his part is that goeth down to the battle, 
So shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. Now every believer has the exact same inheritance. Every believer has the exact same portion. One's not going to receive a finer crown or finer mansion than another one. Now every believer in glory will receive a crown. But it's not going to be a golden one you sit on top of your head. It's a crown of righteousness. That crown cannot be improved upon. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's perfect. So one can't receive better than another. It's all a perfect crown of righteousness. Every believer will receive a mansion. That word mansion is dwelling place. You know what your dwelling place in glory is going to be? In a body, just like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a mansion. It's a perfect mansion. One can't receive a better one than another one. Can they? It's already perfect. It can't be improved upon. The thief on the cross will wear the exact same wedding garment as the Apostle Paul. He surely will. It's the robe of Christ's righteousness. Now, how utterly foolish is it to think that when I get to glory, my garment's going to be somehow better than somebody else's because I added my works to it. If I had my works told, it was wrong. It's the robe of Christ's righteousness. Now, these fellows, these men of beast of Belial, they're interested in some rewards, aren't they? You know the word rewards, plural, is never one time in Scripture used referring to a believer. Matter of fact, the word rewards, plural, is used five times in God's Word. The first one, talks about the rewards of diviners, the rewards of satanic people, those who talk to the dead and so forth. They have their rewards, plural. Next, it talks about the rewards of the wicked. The wicked have rewards, plural. Third, it talks about the rewards of a harlot. A harlot has rewards, plural. The other two times it's used is in a conversation between Belshazzar and Daniel. Well, Belshazzar tells... Daniel, I'll give you all these rewards if you interpret my dream. Basically, he's telling him, I'll give you the rewards of a diviner if you can interpret my dream. And Daniel says, you keep your rewards. I'll tell you the meaning of your dream. That's the only time the word rewards is used in Scripture. And it's used referring to the wicked every time. Now, the word reward, singular, is used many times in Scripture. And you look this up. This was interesting. Most times the word reward is used in Scripture. It's used referring to the wicked too. You know why? Believers are not interested in rewards. They're not motivated by a reward. They're motivated by love for Christ, by his love for us and our love for him. But the word reward is used in Scripture relating to a believer. And you know the chief one? Fear not, Abram. Fear not. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The believer's reward is the Lord Jesus Christ. And every believer gets the same reward, the same portion. The Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect portion, the perfect reward. Isn't that what our Lord taught in the parable about those that went out into the field and worked? Those that worked 11 hours, at the end of the day, got the exact same penny as those that worked one hour. 
Because salvation is by grace. Not by works of righteousness that we've done, lest any man should boast. It's all grace. But plenty of people enjoyed the spoils of the, of the result of David's victory. They enjoyed, they received back more than they ever lost. David not only gave back to every man everything that he lost, those spoils that he took. He said, this is David's spoils. He distributed them. He gave them all out. Those that he took from them, he gave to his people. Look at verse 26. And when David came to Ziklag, he spent of the spoil. He said, this is David's spoil. And he sent it unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold, a present for you, a blessing for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To them which were in Bethel, and to them which were in South Ramah, and to them which were in Jatir, and to them which were in Aurora, and to them which were in Sifmoth, and to them which were in Eshtemoa, and to them which were in Rachel, and to them which were in the cities of the Jeromulites, and to them which were in the cities of the Kenites, and to them which were in Hormah, and to them which were in Korashan, and to them which were in Athach, and to them which were in Hebron, and to all places where David himself and his men were wont to hunt. You see, the people received more than they lost. They received better than what they lost. The believer's inheritance is far greater than what we lost in Adam. When the Lord Jesus Christ died, he recovered everything that we lost in Adam and more. More, it's better I quoted part of this verse earlier. He, when he died, he led captivity captive. And he gave gifts unto men. He gave these blessings unto men as he sees fit. And in Christ, everything is better than what we lost in Adam. Adam had a righteousness, didn't he? he in the garden, he had a righteousness. It was a human righteousness, but he was created in righteousness. The believer has a divine righteousness. Were made the righteousness of God in him. Adam, for whatever time he lived in the garden there, he lived in a state of innocence. He was innocent, but he lost it. The believer lives in a state of grace. You can never lose that. Adam was created upright, but Adam could fall, and he did. The believer is created upright. That new man is born in you, is born perfect, and you'll never fall. Because he's able to keep you from falling. And never fall away from Christ. We'll stumble and fall. But you'll never fall away from Christ. Because he's able to keep you from falling. God created Adam. He put Adam in that garden. And Adam saw some of God's glory, didn't he? I mean, he could look around him and see what God created. He saw God's glory in creation. He saw some of God's glory in justice. In his ruling authority. When Adam fell, God thrust him out of the garden, didn't he? The believer has seen God's greatest glory. His sovereign mercy to sinners. That's his greatest glory. In Isaiah 53, verse 12. Isaiah wrote, he will divide the spoil with the strong. Who is that? Do you feel strong? I don't. I feel very, very weak. Just Who is this strong he's talking about here? He divides the spoil with the strong. Because if that means what I think it means, I'm left out, right? 
Remember back in verse 6, the people were ready to stone David. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And I told you that word encouraged means to be made strong. Who is this strong Isaiah is talking about? Those who are strong in Christ. Those who are in Christ are made strong. If you look over 2 Corinthians 12, I'll show you that. It's those who are in Christ. That's who he divides the spoil with. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. This is when Paul besought the Lord to relieve him of this thorn in the flesh. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. I'm strong in him. And that's who he divides the spoil with. David sent all these presents, these blessings, to all these cities in Judah. Go back and read it this afternoon. And when you can't pronounce the names of those cities, I practiced those. And I looked them up and I practiced them. And I still probably pronounce some of them wrong. Go back and read it this afternoon like this. The Lord Jesus Christ, he sent blessings. He sent presents to those in Cottageville, to those in Ashland, to those in Lexington, to those in Dingus, to those in Danville, to those in, in Orlando, to those in Rocky Mount, to those in Spring Lake. He sent those blessings everywhere where Christ and his people are known to haunt. You want to know where the blessing is? Find where God's people are meeting. Find where the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is preached. He said, that's where I'll be. He's known to haunt there. That's where his people are known. You want the blessing? Find where he's preached and make it your business to be there. Janet cooks dinner every day. I make it my business to be there. You want the blessing? You want the blessing from God? Find where Christ is preached and make it your business to be there. That's where he sends his blessing. All right. Well, I hope the Lord bless that to you.